Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Hi, I'm Ron. Welcome to The Fringe. Um, as always, I try to talk about what we've discussed or what's going on at uh, church on Sunday at Redcliffe. So this week was a bit of an unusual week, a uh, very challenging week. Um, I probably produced what was arguably one of the worst sermons I've ever done. Um, reason being is because I'd been kept up all week with this topic, which was um, very challenging, and my brain just couldn't leave it alone. I just kept ticking over and chewing over this thing, and I couldn't come up with the answers or the solutions. So me being me, I just brought it forward anyway. I shared a message where I didn't have the answers for it. I didn't have a strong closing argument. All I had was my thoughts and I put it out there with the other guys to see what they thought and to add to it because this is a subject where it's going to be deserving of a lot more. I spoke to other pastors and people about it during the week um, and with my comments and what my thoughts it threw them. So they're going to come back to me and we're going to do dig into this a lot more over the period of time. Um, we're going to have other pastors and other people tell us what they think. The topic is justice. Biblical justice, how we perceive justice, what is it to do justice, justice. A very hard, tough subject. One which I don't think is spoken of in churches enough. I, I know I have never heard a sermon preached on it, now I think about it. But where we started on Sunday night was a story I read um, or heard somewhere, but it was about a set of apartments, so a block of flats on top of each other. They were um, getting stone marble top benches put in, and the story comes from these guys who were putting the benches in. So they'd gone off and they'd prepared the benches off-site, Cuddle the tap holes, the sink holes, everything was ready for them just to bring in, plonk into place and hook everything up. But when they brought them in and put them in place, nothing fit. None of the holes were lined up. Uh, nothing had been cut to the right area or the right dimensions. Everything was off. Now this is thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stock of these stone and marble bench tops, which basically had to go in the bin. And they had to start again. The cost of this was incredible. And the fingers started pointing and they started yelling and accusing each other at whose fault it was. And demanding justice and, and, and looking at this thing. And eventually they worked out what had gone wrong. You see, when they build apartments and things like this, they, they put in what they call the center line. A line through this middle of the apartment on the floor. And this line is where everyone does their measurements from to whatever they're putting in there. So all the carpentry, you know, PowerPoints, whatever, everything is done off this center line. 
problem was that this centre line was a little bit out. Whoever ever put them in on every floor had put them out by about one inch. Not much, just a little bit, one inch. But that was enough to mess up everything. And this is just the guys who did the benches. There'd be a lot more. But everything was messed up. Nothing fit. Nothing went into place. And the cost was absorbent. It was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of waste. I think that the topic of justice is a little bit like this. I think if we can get this right, if we can get this back to the center line, because justice runs through the center of the gospel, through the center of the Bible, and through the center of everything, I think it's very important that we try to understand this. Now, as I said, I, I don't have the answers. We explored it. I think we got somewhere. I think we got a lot of really good things out, and a lot of stories, and a lot of personal stuff, which I wouldn't dare share. But we will keep going, and we'll keep exploring this. You know, in the, uh, I think it was about the late 70s, there, there was a pastor who came over from South Africa who um, preached and told a story and, and said something crazy. He said something which started an incredible movement through Australia, through America, and through the world. What he said, which started it all, was God loves the poor. Pretty radical, hey? But it caused the thing, this ripple effect, where everyone started focusing on it. It became a fad, almost fashionable to to, to reach out to the homeless, the poor, uh, set up soup kitchens, donate clothes, whatever it was. And, and it went huge. Every church was doing it. But it wore off. The fad started to dry up. It was no longer, I hate to use this word, but fashionable for them to do it. And things started backing off. I think if we get this right, this center point with justice, the repercussions of that could change everything. Could us as Christians, as churches, if we all started doing justice and understanding what God's envision of justice is, it could change the face of the world. I really do think that. This is a critical message. This is a critical idea. Where we started on Sunday night, we thought, well, I guess we better find the center line. We better find the center line where everything's measured off. What we come to was Matthew 22, 37 to 40, where Jesus is having a conversation about... Um, what is the, the most important of the commandments? And Jesus responds by saying this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is the key bit. All the law and the prophets hang off these two 
commandments. You see, we can give the law a lot of grief, but the law was perfect. We weren't. We were never able to keep it. But the law was perfect. I think we've missed this message. I think we've got one inch off that center point. And the damage which we've done, the damage, the, the things which have gone wrong in church world and in public, which Christianity has been huge because of this tiny little thing. It's really hard in today's world to look at justice for so many reasons. I believe a lot of people go to church to kind of put that stuff behind them. You know, that they don't want to try and fix the world and the injustice and the inequalities and the things which are happening on the other side of the world in Yemen or, or, or starving people in Africa or whatever it is. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I want to go to church and I'm going to focus on church. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on um, my church family and, and, and everything inside this little group so I can forget everything else about out there. But that's not what we're called to. I mean, gang and a gang, as I was chewing over this for a week or so, one passage just kept coming up, and that was Micah. Micah 6, 8, where it says, um, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice. How can we do justice? How can we accept justice? One of the biggest problems we had when talking to the guys and what started this was conversations with guys who've experienced incredible trauma um, and incredible horrific things happened to them in their past. And they've never seen justice carried out. They find it so hard to get on with their life or to leave these things behind them for the pure fact that I guess what they're looking for is more of a vengeance than a justice. They want to see the outcome of that punishment. They want to see that other person suffer for what they've done. I understand that. I get it. But... We are told again and again to do justice in the Bible. We are told that the righteousness of God is complete, is impartial, and is fair. But the problem sits when we don't see it. A lot of us have faith, but when it comes to that, it's a problem. And there's, um, I, I love my philosophers and reading different philosophers. Um, um, one of them which has always stuck with me is, is Michel Foucault. Um, he wrote a book called uh, Discipline and Punish, where, where he looks at the history of punishment 
Um, and the process of the way punishment moved from being done in public spaces to behind closed doors and the effect that that had on society and how it's affected and changed everything. Um, it's an incredible book to read. It really is. He's, he's not a Christian in any stretch of the imagination, um, but his thought processes and what he goes into is fascinating. So on Sunday, I read out part of his book. I'm pretty sure this has never been read in church before and probably never will be again, but um, I'd like to read it for you now. And so this is one of the first punishments which he records in his book. He opens the book with this. So um, picture this, not too well if you're a little bit queasy. In 1757, in Western Europe, on the church house steps, in public... This punishment is played out. A man is taken in a cart, wearing absolutely nothing, holding a torch, burning of wax, weighing two pounds, that's approximately a kilo. Um, He's paraded in public for everyone to see. And then he's brought to the church, where there's been scaffolding erected out the front of the church. They raise him up on there for everyone to see. And then it starts. He is taken to with red hot pincers. And with these pincers, the flesh is torn from his breasts, from his arms, from his calves. And it doesn't stop there. So this guy, from what we're told, killed his father. He used his right hand to stab his father. His right hand is burnt with sulfur. And on the place where the flesh was pulled off is poured malted lead, boiling oil, burning resin, wax and sulfur melted together. And then his body is taken down and drawn and quartered by four horses. And then it's consumed, his remains is consumed by fire to ash. And then the ashes are scattered to the wind. Now, Michel Foucault's premise behind telling us this is the idea that when justice was out in front of the public, that people knew what was happening, that one, it was an incredible deterrent. You know, if if you saw that happen on the street and you had any malice in your heart about doing something, it's quickly going to disappear. But justice in the public worked really well. But once it moved behind closed doors, there became a disconnect. So he almost romanticized about that procedure, that punishment. Not because of the nature of it, it's, it's hideous, but because of the way society reacted to it. Now I think with God's justice, there's a similar parallel that because we don't see, and we'll, on this side of the grave, we'll probably never know 
God's justice for things which are done against us. We don't see it, so it gets in the way. But we need to get okay with that. The other side of it, the flip side, is is grace. God is a, a, a God of grace, a God of love, a God of peace. We've got to understand how offensive that is. When God is giving peace and grace to someone who's wronged us so badly, it can be hard to swallow. That is one of the biggest things which seems to get in the way for, for a lot of the fringe guys, is how do they reconcile that? When they no longer see the punishment, when it's behind closed doors, or, or, or when it's God doing what God does above our pay grade there, dealing with things and keeping the ledger. How do we reconcile ourselves with that? I don't know the answer. I'm just asking the questions. And God's justice from, if you watch that video I attach, um, please do. It'll give you a bit of an idea. God's justice is largely about equality. Making everyone equal. <clears throat> Another um, philosopher who I quite like, there's a guy called John Rawls. And he gives this exercise about two astronauts. Let's have a look at that. A philosopher, John Rawl, had this idea, this theory of justice... One of the things he looks at is justice for all. How can we have justice for all? And he put forward a thought experiment. His thought experiment was imagine we're astronauts and space was opened up. And I flew in and found this lovely planet which was habitable. And I rock up and say, this planet is mine. Woohoo! Let's call it uh, Planet Ron, for, cry for, for the sake of it. So Planet Ron, I come in there and say, this is mine. And someone else is flying by and runs into trouble. So the only thing they can do is pull up on my planet. So what happens is any resources they need to repair their ship and to get themselves going again has to come from Planet Ron. So the idea of justice is more of a commodity, that someone is always paying for it. That there is always a cost to justice. How does this fit into the biblical principle? So what do we mean when we say justice for all? How does opportunity fit into that? What if, what if you're born into wealth? What if you're born with an incredible brain and you've got, you know, different capabilities. What if you're born of nothing? Now, one of the things which uh, our friend John looks at is this thing which he refers to as the maximum rule. So the maximum rule is basically the best worst case scenario. And let me say that again, get your head around it. The best 
worst case scenario because we kind of need inequality that that just sounds wrong even coming out of my mouth but i understand where he's coming from if there's no incentive for doctors for lawyers for scientists to do what they do they possibly won't and what they do may not have uh, an immediate impact on the welfare and on this doing justice on the equality of people but over time what they're doing and what they're producing may have incredible outcomes they might solve world hunger or whatever it is but but without that inequality how would they ever do it you know that they often talk about standing on the shoulders of giants we need that as a society to better ourselves so how do we do justice how do we look at justice i don't have the answers but i have a lot of sleepless nights churning this over at the moment what is the maximum rule what is the best worst case scenario what is god's will what does he want where does inequality fit into it how about free will we couldn't leave the night like this with all these questions and all these problems and no solutions and not that i think this is a solution but we looked at exodus back in the bible and we looked at things which which were sort of taken into effect of of doing justice to me this sounds like doing justice now now this is exodus 22 um i've pulled stuff out of it and it's not no particular order and it's not all of it i have cherry picked it so um i really try not to do that but for this occasion i have because i don't want to be here for hours but um listen to these do not mistreat an alien or oppress him for you were aliens in egypt how do we in australia treat the guys coming in who are trying to escape atrocities persecution punishment i know uh, for a long time just in kangaroo point in the city was <clears throat> a lot of uh people who were in that situation who were being kept and held indefinitely without charges or knowing what was doing it with them look at uh the the horrific things which australia has done never mind the states and all these sort of things how is that doing biblical justice how is that doing biblical justice another one do not take advantage of the widow or the orphan yeah that's pretty straightforward i believe that is doing justice by looking after the widows and the orphans how many of us do it how about this one 
If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset. Because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear. For I am compassionate. Now, not so much here, but in the States and and in Europe and in a lot of the, the colder climate places, how often do you hear of people freezing to death on the streets? And one of the keys here, I think, is where we're told, I will hear, for I am compassionate. What does compassion mean? It's an easy word to use, but when we tear it down, when we look at it, when we break it down to its, its roots, what compassion means is to suffer with. To suffer with. A great example of this, when I think of it, is um, Jesus when he raises Lazarus. So he comes in, you know the story well, and he's late and Lazarus has died. And uh, everyone's weeping and upset and sad. And what does Jesus do? Jesus knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus. But he stops. He takes time and he mourns and he weeps with them. He shows them compassion. He hurts with them. Do we do that? How often do we race in and try and solve the problems or or do whatever it is we, we need to do and move on to the next one? That's not compassion. Compassion is to hurt with them. To weep with them, to cry with them, to feel the pain, the sorrow, the misery, whatever it is they're going through, with them. How about this one? Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. Do not hoard food, basically. Do not hoard the things you don't necessarily need right now. How about the ones who don't have anything? Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Have a look at our court system. Have a look at what our government and what goes on. I'm not going to comment on that one. I'm going to leave it go because I'm going to get into trouble otherwise. But just give it some thought. How about this one? Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not prevent justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor man in his lawsuit. How does that sit? How do we do justice like that? Sounds like justice to me. How are we going with that? How often, sorry, I'm going to pick on the political world again, but how often does someone go into the political realm or into something with the best of intentions of doing something, but they have to sell out their ideals or these things to be able to get anything done, toe the party line, to join the crowd? 
to give up that justice, the doing justice, that thing they even got there in the first place for. You know, there's a a saying said somewhere, and and I think it rings true. It's it's often in my head, and it gets me in trouble. But um, people, the people who have power, are the ones who were willing to stoop low enough to pick it up. Unfortunately, that can be very true. How about this one? If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, your enemy's ox or donkey, wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. So those guys who persecuted and did you all that damage, if you see something going wrong for them, how would you respond? Injustice. Or in vengeance? Are you looking for that punishment? Or can you put it aside and help them when they need it? This is deep stuff. How about this? If you see that donkey of someone who hates you, who hates you, Fallen down under its load. Do not leave it there. Be sure you will help him with it. That goes on. There's so much. Look into it yourself. Do not deny justice to the poor people. This is a roadmap to doing justice. This is the center line of the gospel. This is the center line of everything. What would it look like if we actually could grasp this stuff and do it? What would it look like when someone does us wrong, we could get over it? Purely because we trust God's word. Can we show real compassion to suffer with people? You know, I I have a Cornell West I watch quite a lot of and um, read his books. I've met him once, which was great, but Cornell West always says that love is what justice looks like in public. So I want to shut this down and close it off. In closing, doing justice is something we are called to do. God's justice, well, it's above my pay grade. What happens behind those closed doors and it's not out in the public arena anymore? Well, that's up to God. But I trust Him that he knows what he's doing and what he does will work out the best in the end. The other thing I can assure you is God's grace and love is abundant and unmeasurable and that is good enough for me.
Now this subject, this whole look at justice, brings up a lot of emotions. On Sunday night we had downright rage from some people. We had tears, we had sadness, we had every emotion under the sun. This is a challenging, difficult topic, and I don't have the answers. But I can assure you this, if we get our head around this, it'll change everything. And I promise you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep wrestling with this. I'm going to ask a lot of questions of a lot of people, and I'd love to tie you in. If you've got something to say on it, contact me. Leave a message. Let's have a chat. I really want to get this down. And we have people with law degrees, theologians, other pastors who I've spoken to in this last week who want to weigh in, who agree with me that this is so of such vital importance. We need to spend some time and work this out. And they're coming forward, and they're going to have conversations, and I'd love to bring it to you too. So let us know what you think. It's a heavy, scary, painful, offensive, and dangerous topic. But I think we need to go there. What's your thoughts? We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today. <laughs>